Hello and welcome to the House of Hanno podcast. It is Saturday, May 6th, 2023. I am one of your hosts, Jared Hanno, and this is my beautiful wife, Carissa Hanno. Say hello, Carissa. Hello. Feliz Cinco de Mayo. May the 4th be with you. And everything else that was celebrated this week, including the coronation of King Charles III, which I know KC, you were... KC3. KC3. It's my favorite nickname lately. KC3. <laughs> it, it makes me think of Chris Paul because he's CP3 from the NBA. <laughs> so when you said KC3, <laughs> I thought, well, man, that wouldn't be a matchup at all if you had CP3 versus KC3. I think well, you'd get no. eaten up. Well, no. But I noticed you were watching that this morning. I did wake up. And you know, everything since it's East Coast time, I think it was actually at like 2 o'clock this morning, but I woke up and saw all the replay stuff, and I was happy to see that Prince Harry did make it. However, he did not make it to the uh, balcony, but he was there for the coronation, so I think that was a good show of support. Yeah, and I've always felt some kind of way about all of the pomp and whatever it's called. I love it. I know I you do. It. I know you love royalty and all of that. They the, were talking about how a bunch of people over there think the Americans love it more than they do. And I'm like, I would totally be somebody that would want to fly back there and, and I, see something like that. And I guess I've always been one of those that it's kind of humans taking themselves too seriously sort of things and getting dressed up and people just like to do formal things like that. But well, and Prince William was one of my first crushes back in middle school. But it's got real history. I mean, people yeah. have been beheaded by past royal families, you know. And I do love history, so maybe that's why I kind of cling to it, too. I do <laughs> like all the stories and stuff. You know, the history is obviously very real, so I can't... I have no argument when I say it's just people dressing up, you know. it's There's real history behind it, but yeah, it... Congratulations on your coronation, <laughs> King Charles III. I'm sure the country's very lucky to have you as their king. Um... Another thing that happened this week, I was watching some TV the other night, and we still have the boomer antenna, the digital TV. I, I love it, though. I'm glad we canceled our cable and if just have the antenna. If you want to watch some nostalgic sitcoms, get yourself a digital TV air antenna, and you'll pick up all of the 6-2-3-4. You can catch as many episodes of The Nanny as you could ever handle. I watched Designing Women a couple weeks ago on there. I do think, I don't know if it's just because it's nostalgic for us. It feels very calm to News me. News radio, I saw. Yep. It. It's just a good, you see shows that you had, if you're our age, I'm 40. Carissa is very young and beautiful, and I forget how old she is because of that, but I'm 40 years <laughs> old. <laughs> right? Nice try. Yeah. I'm 40 years old. Um, I'm almost 40. But you see a lot of shows that you forgot about and shows that you remember just watching because that was all you had to watch. There was nothing else available because you had four TV channels and whatever was on, you were at the mercy of their broadcast. And well, and I feel like I've been caught into some OPB stuff too, like quilting shows and sewing stuff and it's Oregon Revealed when, and things like that. And It's back when America was truly united because we all watched the same shows. We didn't all have true. our own. Maybe there's something maybe there's, to that yeah. I may have just stumbled upon, which is, you know, when everybody knew what everybody else watched, you could go up and say, man, did you catch Frasier last night? Did you see Seinfeld last night? The New Friends night? episode. There was so much less. TGIF. And thus, we had so much more to talk about. And now people come up to me and they'll name off 15 anime shows, two Netflix series, and an Amazon Prime something that I've never heard of. And I just think, 
well, I could never keep up with any with all this content out there. And I appreciate people suggesting things I should watch, but how could I ever keep up with all the things people say I should watch? I mean, I think that's part of it, too. We kind of went through last spring, like, cancel, 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 cancel cable, cancel this, really streamline what we're streaming. It's like, we don't need to pay all that money, and we really don't need to be sitting watching TV all day anyway. It's very sad that, honestly, if you're willing to wait a couple of months for your content, it's almost free. Because Mm -hmm. there's... Everything eventually goes to Amazon or Netflix. And and yeah, there's there's so many apps out there that offer free content, and this is a plug or whatever, but Pluto TV. I love Pluto TV because, yes, it is some aged content, but there's lots of it. It feels like watching cable TV. And let's be honest, cable TV is just buying a lot of rights to these streaming platforms and airing their stuff as a third party they're just paying the fees so cable tv is just bundling and there's a comedian i think it was jim gaffigan that said it somebody should bundle up all these streaming services in one group and call it cable tv and exactly not not entirely true but that's also kind of how it is and where we've gotten but my point is with our old folks antenna that i was using i stumbled i think i was on channel 49-3 And there was an episode of Austin City Limits from probably 1984. And an artist I had never heard of named Vern Gosden. Country singer, old-timey, mustache, leather jacket, tucked-in shirt underneath. Everything you kind of would, would think of when you hear this man's voice. He fits the bill. And he had these songs that really caught my ear because the lyrics were just sort of corny, but they stuck you. Very cliche country. Yes, it it was the cliche, sad, broken-hearted country music. But there was something about this guy that kind of made you believe the stories he was telling because he sort of looked and sounded the part. There's a pain in his voice that you kind of hear. And he had this song called if you're gonna do me wrong do it right and what he's saying is he's telling his whether it's his wife or whatever who it's apparent she's cheating on him he says here's a closet full of dresses that i bought you here's the keys to the car in the drive before you leave our room put on that old perfume because if you're gonna do me wrong do it right and he's you know, he's kind of silently giving his wife her, a blessing to say, yes, I know what you're doing. And, and damn it, honey, here, take some money and just get out there and at least go somewhere nice if you're going to do this. And that's, that's <laughs> and, and, you know, I laid there just sort of really soaking in this time capsule of when these grown men who by today's standards look so grizzled and so rough, but they're so brokenhearted. And, you know, maybe that was so, maybe that, and I guess some country artists kind of keep that alive today, but at the same time, kind of hard to take a clean-cut multimillionaire seriously when he's talking about how down and out he's been. And these guys might have had a little money, but they also might have been a little more irresponsible with it. And they may have been dealing with a few more consequences. And maybe a tougher life, tougher upbringing, kind of, yeah. Yeah. A little rough around the edges. So 
And he had another song, you know, where, and this is a, apparently it's a song from the olden days, uh, but Vern was singing this song that was dim lights, thick smoke, and loud, loud music. You'll never make a wife to a home-loving man. And again, it's, you know, here he's basically calling a woman a tramp, telling her she's a no-good alcoholic and that she Somebody spends really all her- did him wrong. And, and yeah, <laughs> and that's kind of what I mean is, man, who hurt this poor man who- would look to most people like a tough guy, but he's up there crying his heart out over these songs, and you kind of believed him, you know? But check out Vern Gosden if you ever want to well, dig into some... he's definitely the latest Hanno men's joke about the thing, you know. Us Hanno men love to pretend, you know, we love this whole woe is me, I'm the poor husband that just breaks my back, and all I want is maybe a kiss <laughs> every now and then. It's really fun sometimes. <laughs> the, the wives of Hanel men really love it when we say, Papa, don't feel well. That's, <laughs> <laughs> and I think Shane and Bill have probably dropped that as many times as I have. But when we heard, if you're going to do me wrong, do it right, that immediately became a, a war cry for us Hanel men to start saying to our wives and... <laughs> Honey, I came home and there was no coffee creamer in the fridge. Uh, if you're going to do me wrong, do it right. You know, yeah. those were, were pretty petty like that, but it's all tongue in cheek. Yeah. So, yeah, check out Vern if you really want to see what country music really used to look like in the in the 80s. The it roots, yep. The, the roots of what these people are trying to do now, and maybe you'll have an appreciation for some of the more modern stuff that can that still hangs on to that. And maybe Vern could have stood to have a little more personal strength. And that's what we want to talk about this week is finding your personal strength. And those moments where you've lost it and you really feel like you're losing the battle. And whether it's with relationships, whether it's professional, whether it's spiritual... I think we all have moments and all have times where we feel like we're just losing the battle and you're just hanging on. And what was it that gets you through that? What, where did you look? Where did you, what did you lean on to get you through those moments? Um, I myself, a little over a year ago, decided I was going to drastically change my life and I was really tired of the monotony and not the job I was doing, but doing a job where there was really no satisfaction in it for me. And I was actually making pretty good money. I was making good bonus checks and getting some nice cash bonuses, but I wasn't, I kind of was feeling like I was stepped on. And you also had probably the worst commute in the Portland metro area. I really did. The I, life out of you. I, I endured. If, if you were to map out what most people would describe as as bad as a commute could be through Portland metro, mine is easily in the top three. And I did it every day for seven years. And that means getting up in the morning knowing you're going to go sit in at least 45 minutes of traffic. And some days it was more like an hour and 15. I know by a lot of people where they live, that's probably not a lot. I've heard tales that there's people in other cities that do two to three hours of traffic each way every day. That's insane to me. That's I couldn't do it anymore. Um, it was hard to go do a job that I wasn't necessarily satisfied by. 
where I was just sort of getting by. And it's it's defeating when you get off work and you're excited to go home and go to your family. And thud, you hit a traffic jam and you know that here we are an hour away from that. And you have all this time to think and all this time to reflect. And maybe that was a part of it was I had a lot of time to look back and reflect on being unhappy about things. Um, But one day I just decided I was done with that job. And I texted Carissa that I thought I was done. And sure enough, I was. Well, you you asked if you, if I was okay with it. I mean, you yeah, definitely I, I, didn't I, I just said, make a decision without asking. I, I kind of said, I think I'm going to quit my job. What do you think? And I think in the most supportive way possible, Carissa just said, if you think it's what's best, you do what you think is what's best. And I quit my job with what I thought was a plan, but really was no plan. I was telling myself that there was going to be a musical career following that, and I was going to be doing all of this songwriting and this and that. But if I'm being honest with myself, I wasn't prepared. And I quit a job with really not a lot to fall back on. And so amidst the pressure of wondering where my house payment was going to come from in a certain amount of time when the money started to run out. There was feelings of failure. There was feelings of regret. There was seeing these beautiful girls, my daughters and my wife, come in and out of my house every day and and having to look at them and say, don't worry, it's going to be okay that became a very heavy weight and Carissa and I have been through really, really hard times together, but I've never, I don't know if I can say I've ever felt so much pressure in my life as I did during that time and put so much pressure on myself and thought, man, I could really, I could really make our worlds fall apart if something doesn't happen. And thankfully I, have a job now with a very good company that treats me well, that's fair with me, and I'm providing for my family. And we've had, if you would have told me a year ago um, that we were just going to be coming off a grand vacation and, you know, here I've, I've went to Arizona for the summer last year for a week. Uh, You know, I've done some fun fun things. And I've been so lucky. Um, but I'll be honest, I was scared to death. I, I really sat in this, in a room by myself sometimes just cursing myself saying, man, don't you dare let those girls worry one moment. And, and I, and I put a lot of that on me. Um, well, and I think really, truly, like, I think the idea was right that you were going to give yourself time to do music and be creative, but there's probably nothing more crushing to creativity than stress and pressure it's and the worry. About absolutely. Life. Absolutely. It, it, it was, you know, putting myself in the smallest box imaginable and then telling myself I needed room mentally to be creative. And that's, it, it was a perfect storm of failure. And, and I'm not saying, you know, there was not, I could have made more effort towards what I said I was going to do, but I kind of could feel also that, okay, 
this is just something that I think that could make some good money. But here I've done it a few times now, and I've attempted a few transactions with some clients, and it was starting to kind of feel like, okay, this isn't really what I want to do either. Well, and I think the blessing in your job now is that it's close. You have less commute time. You're home more. You definitely have more time to be creative and I now have a commute, hone your craft and this, do extra things. I now have a commute that is 14 minutes each way through beautiful Willamette Valley country in Clackamas County. I drive through in the sunrise over Mount Hood. I come home just as the afternoon sun is starting to set. I have a ton of time now I can spend with my girls, and I gave up a lot of money for that. But it's it's the satisfaction that I wanted. I wanted to be able to go to work, but at the same time go, hey, I'm providing and I'm living. And I, I maybe selfishly put a lot of emphasis on that, but I want to make sure that I'm also living a life on planet earth that's not this definition you know there's there's the definition of have a home have a family have a job provide earn all of that but i also kind of want to have this part of my life that's still a little bit curious and a little bit free to roam and a little bit you know kind of and that doesn't mean i want to go off by myself and roam this earth as a you know, as a, a loner, it means I don't want to feel like I'm under the grasp of the job, the home, the, you know, it's, I think it's healthy sometimes in my weird opinion to be free of that, to forget that any of that exists and just kind of be a natural dumb human that's just sort of existing and floating on and you you got to wrangle it back and you got to come back from that but well you come from a long line of um some wild natives yeah so i feel <laughs> yeah and, and i do have native american blood and you know there maybe there's part of that and for those who know my grandma ann by my mom's mother sounds like she was very wild and couldn't be contained and um you know i'll tell Real quick, that my grandma Ann wasn't homeless, but she was found dead in the early 90s where mostly homeless people hang out. She was wild. She didn't want to be, she didn't want to live a structured life. She would rather be free and uncomfortable than have somebody take her in and have that comfort. She never wanted that. She never wanted to work under anyone's thumb foolishly, you know, to, as we can see, died very young in her 50s to her detriment. But long story short, uh, where I found my personal strength and where I continue to find my personal strength and I search for it every day and I make sure and I look for it and I embrace it is my wife and my daughters. I know how much they rely on me to keep this family moving in a direction that we need to. I know that my girls deserve a dad that provides for them, not only provides for them, but assists them to the next level, you know, and 
failing my daughters is the worst thing I could ever imagine. Um, I, I could never picture looking in their eyes and them needing something for me that I couldn't give them. So that's my strength. And that's what I found is I think a lot of people get up in their own heads and they think, what do I have to do? What do I need to do? Well, sometimes you got to ask yourself, it's not what you need to do, but what do other people maybe need you to do? And I'm thankful that I have kids. I'm thankful that we have our kids together because I look at them and I just think, that's all you need to know is that those two girls came to you as such a beautiful blessing and now you earn them every day. Because I do know that they saved my life, that, you know, in, in a lot. It, not that I was going off any cliffs or anything like that, but. Grounds, yeah, it grounds young, you, centers you. Young men reach a point at a certain age where you kind of have to decide where your life's going to go. Um, and I've seen a lot of guys that I know fail miserably. Um, and I think sometimes I could have easily fallen along with some of those guys had I not been surrounded by such beautiful women that love me. And that is my strength. So Carissa, I'm now going to pass it off to you and let you talk about a moment maybe where you needed to find your personal strength. Um, you know, I don't know why you always go first because well, he's such a good speaker. He, um, he who talks the most usually talks <laughs> first, and that's usually how it goes. I don't know. He always uh, has a way with words. Um, even going back to our vows at our wedding, it's like he went first, and it was like, well, crap. Here comes my fifth grade report on my book. But um, anyway, I'll just speak from my heart too. But um, you know, we um, had Margot beautiful blessing we were told um told we would never have kids and then we got her as a miracle um got pregnant another time and we lost Daphne when I was 34 weeks pregnant which is a whole another episode in itself and another hardship and a incredible strength from that but um yeah and that's that's what I mean when I talk about you know hardships yeah feeling down and having been through tough stuff is yeah we did we we have lost a child at, and we've, we, you know, we had to go through the whole process of seeing, acknowledging, and burying one of our children. And it was extremely tough. Um, but I also realized just how blessed I am by seeing, by having Carissa and being there with you through that. And how fragile, how, how fragile life is in you know, sometimes I think you see people in pregnancy and childbirth and all these things seem so easy to some people. And really it's, um, it really is a miracle that babies get here safe and sound. But, um, I felt my personal strength came from all the work that I did after we lost Daphne and then choosing together to, um, want to try to have another child and get pregnant again. And I really thought, um, I had done all this work. I'd read these books. I'd done classes. I'd done all these things to kind of prepare myself for that, and it really um, was probably, I think that whole period of being pregnant with Georgia was probably the toughest thing I've ever gone through. I say now, I feel like I look at pictures of myself even after I lost Daphne and I'm like, oh, I actually look pretty good. Like I, you know, my skin's going, I look pretty good. And I look at now and I'm like, man, we've been through the ringer the last couple of years. I feel like that pregnancy aged me about 10 years, but um, just the anxiety of the worry and um, the fear of what if it happens again, 
she gave us a scare about, um, I think I was 30 weeks pregnant and I, um, had, um, some bleeding problems, went to the hospital, had extremely high blood pressure, was in the hospital for about three weeks. And, um, and of course, Jared is my rock. My family is my rock, but to be honest, it was like so hard having Margot come in for the couple hours a day that she would come in and leave and having her to leave. And she was only three and a half at the time. And she didn't understand why and why am I having to leave my mom and she's in the hospital and all these changes. And, um, to be honest, I feel like that was kind of when I got my faith back to faith in God and a purpose and he has a plan. And I was raised Catholic my whole life, but I feel like in my, you know, in your twenties, you're discovering yourself and what you believe and all these things. And I think for a lot of people can probably attest to that too, that when you kind of go through a personal tragedy, you know, a lot of people tend to kind of lean back on their faith. And, um, I just remember thinking even on the whole ride to the hospital and I feel like it's so George's attitude too to not do something when you want her to do something. It was like the whole time after I'd woke up in the middle of the night and had all the bleeding and stuff, she did not kick one single time. And I just remember the whole drive to the hospital being like, I just had this feeling though, that it was like, everything's going to be okay. Even though in my heart, I knew everything was going to be okay, but my head is telling me something's wrong. Something's wrong. She's not kicking. And you know, your and, head's and going a mile. That's a, and that's a thing I'll never forget. Um, you know, obviously there's, there were moments through our whole ordeal with Daphne that I replay in my head every day and I'll never forget. And some of these moments and it's, it never leaves me. But you waking me up in the middle of the night when you were bleeding and getting in the car and rushing to the hospital and squeezing your hand. And it's why I, so, so Carissa was raised Catholic. Um, Mom tried to raise us boys Christian. Didn't stick with some of us, but I am not an atheist. Um, Agnostic. I guess is the word. I always tell people you're a very spiritual person. I, you're just not an organized religion person. Correct. I think it's foolish to not acknowledge the existence of whatever moves us. And man, when we were driving in that car, not knowing what was going on with you, you have to reach out to something. And I was... When I recall and I look back on that moment, it feels as if I was driving with my eyes closed because I remember praying so hard. But I was driving, so I couldn't have had them closed. But it it replays in my head like my eyes were closed. And that was so... I think that's when we healed. I think that's when we really, as crazy as it sounds... It was a moment that most people would think, oh, my God, here it goes again. You've just been through this terrible ordeal where you lost a child, and here it comes again. But in my opinion, it was a moment where we really started to heal together. And for those who know Georgia, what a sweet baby and what a beautiful <laughs> blessing she is, but what a stubborn little baby Dang she Dang her when be. you want her to do something, she is not going to do it. She will be the biggest ham in the world, but the moment you put a camera on and say, Gigi, do it again, she will immediately shut up. Play up, yep. 
And she's not a performer. And that's what Chris is talking about. So that's about when with. I was trying to get her to perform. I was drinking cold water. I was laying on my side. I was doing all these things, and she would not move. And and it was like it was it was her telling us, "Hey, I've got this. It's fine." And, and you know, people and, will yeah. say things like, "It's in God's hands now," or whatever. But you know, that's you're we, still scared. But I, I mean, I think. Too, we did. I think we prayed the whole way to the hospital. Oh. They found her heartbeat. We were there. It took him forever to find her heartbeat. But the whole time I was in the hospital, and it's like I'd just be laying in bed. My blood pressure would shoot up for no reason. And they'd go into this, you know, not attack mode, but, you know, hurry up and give me medication. Hook me up to the monitors. Check her. And they would say, she's perfectly fine. She does not care that your blood pressure is going up. She's perfectly happy where she's at. She's totally fine. And as a husband, I'll, t- I'll tell you, if any moment where I've had to remind myself this is where you really earn your keep because I was irritated. I was agitated. I wanted out of that hospital Jared so does not bad. Do hospitals. I cannot stand being in hospitals. My only response is just to curl up on a couch or whatever they have and just try and go to sleep. And yeah. that upsets Carissa. <laughs> so I couldn't do well, that. Well, I think any female can attest to that too, especially after you've had your baby or whatever, and you're wide awake trying to get comfortable and you look over and your husband's curled up sleeping on the couch. But that's just Jared's coping. It's his coping mechanism. It's what gets him through. It works. But anyway, those three weeks in the hospital were hell, even though all the workers were wonderful. The nurses, the doctors, everything was wonderful. But we had three weeks at home on bed rest. And it was like the mental toughness to get through that phase every single day was like, I, my mom could not get me to set anything up for. We, I remember my mom seeing... did not want me to put, I didn't want to put the bassinet up. Everybody had to do everything for me because I just could not get myself to do it, it was hard and i even you know even when georgia was born i remember the moment where we were in there it was dark it was probably two in the morning or something like that and you know here we have margo and when georgia was born margo was what six years old uh, five 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 years old almost six and i'm holding georgia She's new baby. I'm so thankful to have her. But I had this weird thought in my mind, like, do I feel enough love for this baby? Why am I, you know, shouldn't I be overcome and have this rush of emotions that just has me weeping on the floor because of what we've been through and now we've got this baby and blah, blah, blah. And when that rush didn't hit me, I got worried and I thought, God, I hope I love this baby enough. I hope I care enough about this baby as much as I do my first child. And Carissa kind of looked at me and we sort of had a moment of just sort of quiet and looking at each other. And I won't say that the rush came over me, but like a peace came over me. And I thought, of course I love this little baby as much as I could ever love anything else. And Man, I I put her up over my shoulder and just wept with that sweet baby because it was almost like that moment of no matter what, Carissa has gotten through this and I've gotten through this and we've done this and look at this baby right now that's proof that in spite of what the last couple of years have done to us, here we are in this moment. And... And I think it was just a matter, too, of different, completely different situations. I feel like with Georgia, she was 
quite a bit early. I had a C-section and we didn't get to hold, we didn't really get to hold her right away. They kind of whisked her off and we're checking her lungs and all these things too. So I feel like it's just not in the clinic. The same was when Margo was born, she came out screaming. She was on my chest. You know, it's just a, a different. Margo a made experience. us wait. You know, Margo took almost 19 hours to like come around. 20, she was 20 hours. Eight. 28 hours. Margo was a long haul to come around and get there, but she, she came out screaming. She came out and she was a born baby and it was like you pictured it should be. And man, I there it's it's something I'm proud of. Something I think is it, it makes, you know, I'm not a badass dude. I I'm <laughs> I'm big, I'm loud, and I'm pretty strong. And I'm tough. I can take a beating, but I'm not what people would say is like a badass dude. I don't like to fight. I don't like to smash beer cans on my head and no. things like that. You know that I'm sensitive, not that sensitive musician type. I, I'm sensitive musician type. Um, but one of the things that I definitely think makes me kind of a badass is there ain't a part of parenting. I don't know about as far as young, you know, raising the young. Um, we've had the pregnancy that we didn't expect that came along and was such a blessing out of nowhere that we were just overjoyed with. And our daughter got here happily and healthily. And, you know, and, and then obviously we've had to say goodbye to one of our babies. And then we've had this roller coaster of a pregnancy and this baby that came along and just rocked our world and flipped us on our heads as far as what we thought we knew as parents. But I think we're both very proud of the fact that we've done any and all kind of parenting you could experience and we've lived real life. And that's that's something that nobody can take away from us. Mm-hmm. And, sure. and I have a love for you that I may have never had before because we've been through that. And, you know, that's nobody could ever feel what we have felt together. Mm-hmm. And that is powerful. And that's what we wanted to convey through this episode is as much as life can kick you down and things can be so hard find the healing in it somewhere in there, you know, somewhere after that storm, there's going to be a moment. And if you acknowledge that moment, that's that moment where you can start to heal. And it might be a moment where it hurts again. It might be, you know, it it could be a moment where you're, where you're thinking, like we said earlier, that, you know, life is bringing you down once again, but that could be a moment where you're getting another chance to rise against that and find that. Thank you for listening to part one of this very special House of Hanno podcast. Tune in next time while we conclude this episode and interview our very special guest and once again talk about finding your inner strength and doing it right.